Let's ask the Lord's uh, mercies on us. Dear Lord God, we are very grateful for your word, and we're grateful for each week our gathering together to be in fellowship, but also to stand before you to examine ourselves in light of what your scriptures say. In your son's name we pray and are thankful. Amen. Okay, and I apologize. I, I know those of you who have been through a few sermon notes in the past X number of years, you said, I have never seen type that small. And I apologize for having to make the type that small. I could have gone to the back side of the page. Then you would have had another kind of stroke. Because you wouldn't have seen it until I said, and let's turn over the... But you, have, you can blame Solomon for this because uh, Solomon wouldn't stop praying. And uh, there you have it. Now, I'm not going to be going through every word in this prayer. But I was thinking about Solomon because of uh, last, servant's, last week's sermon on Solomon's uh, wisdom. And this is a story shortly after I was flipping through an old Bible I had that I picked up at my mother-in-law's house that she had picked up for its antique quality from the late 1800s and it was a big, you know, church type Bible. And I was flipping through it because I enjoyed looking how all the pages were laid out. And I flipped open to Chronicles 6 and started to read and this is really... This is not just good, Solomon saying good things about God, but this sounds like Solomon's up to something. So I, I sort of told myself, you better come back to that a little sometime this week. So I was back in at, uh, and said, well, even though it's a lot of text, we'll try to make something out of it. Now, if you're not familiar with how the Old Testament happened, um, this is around uh, 960, 60, 960 BC. No, is it 960? Yes, about 960 BC. David, King David, is around 1000 BC. Solomon is David's son. David is dead. This is the beginning of the monarchy of uh, Judah and Israel. Um, it's the glory point, as we, we uh, suggested. Um, one of the writers of many psalms that you read is there on the left-hand side. You see the name Asaph of the Levit Levitical singers. He's at this ceremony. And you've read the psalms of Asaph in the book of Psalms. Solomon has built the temple of the Lord. And David wanted to build it. He had bought the threshing floor of uh, Aruna, the Jebusite, and wanted to build the temple. God said, mm, nice idea, but you can't do it because you're a man of blood. He gathers all the gear together, all the equipment together, all the supplies, and Solomon builds the temple. And this is the dedication ceremony that Solomon is at. All of Israel is there. Everything he's been, they've been sacrificing uh, tens of thousands of bulls. 
And this prayer is sort of the, the, the moment, the dedicatory prayer that Solomon makes. And it starts in verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 6. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have built thee an exalted house, a place for thee to dwell in forever. Which is an interesting phrase. I don't know if he's referring to the fact that the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant didn't have any windows. In antiquity, you had no windows. There was, there was candelabra, but it was a pretty dark place. I don't know if he's thinking of the construction of the temple. In the king's account of this same prayer, it says, um, the Lord has made the sun, but he himself would dwell in thick darkness. There's something about our circumstance as, as human beings scurrying around. You ever watch squirrels? They're really, really dumb. Uh, or um, uh, quail. We have quail in our yard and they <laughs> pretending their lives are important. Especially uh, the quail. The, the, the males are just so full of themselves. And squirrels are, are like fraternity brothers. They, they just, and they, and they think they're out doing something when they find a, something to bury and they go bury it. Think, yeah, I'll find that next year. You ever stop and think that your life is much the same? You are scurrying around on a planet without a clue. And you have a suspicion for everything that you know, the beginnings of things you think are valuable. You're, say you're not a believer, say you're not a Christian, and, but you know that certain things are valuable, doing what's right. And then you realize there it can't be any right without God. There, what, what is the judgment for all these wrongs I have done? How do I get rid of the guilt? We know we end up seeking a God. Well, Tammy was talking about it the other night. She was over and talking about the whole virtue of seeking God. We have to seek him because he doesn't make himself immediately and totally felt. He's there. We see his infinite power and deity and things that have been made. We we have all sorts of, we're making a sitting, getting together Sunday morning to make claims about who he is. And we also know that there's a thick darkness in which God stands, prefers to be, possibly because he prefers to be sought. But in seeking, what the prayer is about, if you wanted some takeaway points, this is a long prayer, I'm going to doze off pretty soon, Evan. What are you going to tell me so I can doze off now? Just sort of the theme statement. God not just dwells in thick darkness and must be sought by you, but he does give a path to find. We talked about it a few Sundays ago, but ask, seek, knock. What you have gained, what you have found, 
There's a way of dealing with it. There's a way of remembering it. Because God has been playing himself out through human history um, so that he could be found by man. We're without excuse. If we deny there is an existent God, it says it's clearly perceived in the things that have been made. What, what you can be known about God, infinite power and deity. What you have encountered as Christians already is, you might say, image points that you can go back to. Places that, like the temple, this is what we're getting at, Solomon built the temple. Just like the rock in Mecca, just like the temple of Artemis in Ephesus, the temple of Yahweh in Jerusalem was a place that God put his name to. Let's read that. The king faced about and blessed all the assembly of Israel, while all the assembly of Israel stood, and he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to David my father, saying, Since the day that I bought, brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I chose no city in all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there. And I chose no man as prince over my people, Israel, but I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name may be there, and I have chosen David to be over my people, Israel. Now it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to David, my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son, who shall be born to you, shall build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise, which he made. For I have risen in the place of David, my father, and sit on the throne of Israel, as the Lord promised, and I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And there I have set the ark, in which is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with the people of Israel. As I was reading through that, so this is just one of those parts that Somebody is keeping referring for my people Israel and for the Lord and for the name to dwell. And, and, you, and a haze descends on you. And God once again dwells in deep darkness. You, you, you're not picking anything up. What Solomon is saying, that out of paganism, God called his people. And he introduced himself first to Abraham. And then finally to Moses. And told, finally told Moses his name. We don't have the name of God known by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's Yahweh. This is the name by which I shall be remembered. And this is the God that is mentioned here. And then they wander out of Egypt, and then they come and conquer the land, and they have the judgeship for 300 years. And finally a temple. They've had the tabernacle, but finally a temple. And Solomon is pointing out that this was promised by mouth, promised verbally. The voice of God was heard, making promises to David. There is a, 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 your knowledge of what has gone on in God's history. You want to say, what? What am I looking for? If I'm a seeker, I'm looking to hear the voice of God. What has he said? How do I know he said it? What has he done? Admit to his acts. For a while there, he didn't have a city picked out 
Now he has a city picked out. For a while there, he didn't have a prince picked out, but now he has a prince picked out. You admit to what he is doing, and you thank him that it benefited you. That's what Solomon is about. Blessed be God. This promise, these things have gone on, and I have gained. I am the one who inherited the promise to David, says Solomon. And then he asks at the last part of this section, from verse 12 through um, 17, he talks about how he was standing on a, uh, on a table, three cubits high, and then he, he bows down and then asks God to confirm these promises to him. Verse 17, Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, let thy word be confirmed, which thou hast spoken to thy servant David. As we, as we look for God, we see more and more confirmation of the name of God in places in your life. And you have to, there are a lot of places that will claim to be Yahweh. Jeroboam, after Solomon, claimed that the golden calves at Bethel and Dan were the God that led them up out of the land of Egypt. Aaron did the same at Mount Sinai. There will be people who say, oh, this is the name of God. Just like nowadays, there will be people who say, oh, here is the Christ. Oh, this is the true church, or whatever they want to claim. But that doesn't keep you, doesn't excuse you from finding the true claim, because you're looking for the name of God dwelling. You're not looking necessarily for God dwelling, because you know that, the, that God is leaving his name on things, his image on things, his purposes on things, for you to discover, for you to hear, for you to admit to, for you to thank him for, so that you can start to collect a, a, a world where you understand God because the things of you have found out about him. You want to confirm these things. At the same time, one of the big temptations of people is to be very uh, place-oriented. The Jews got this way about the temple. <clears throat> and it's interesting that the guy who built the temple warned them. You know, we, we as Christians sometimes think, oh yeah, we learned that the temple was just the, the, the symbol, just, a, just the shadow. It wasn't the substance. The substance belonged to Christ. Well, so did the Jews. The Jews knew that too. Solomon knew that. Verse 18, but will God dwell indeed with man on earth? Behold, heaven and highest heaven cannot contain thee much less this house which I have built. He knows he's built this glorious human you know, architectural feat for the living God for his name to dwell there and he knows he's not making the promise or the claim that God really does. Or God really can. That God could be limited by such a cheap knockoff of the heavenly tabernacle. But it needs to be. We kind of need that as human beings. Some place to say, the name of Christ is on this. This is the word of God. You've seen people do it with the Bible too. But just like he had spoken by promise with his mouth, we know that the word of God, first you know, gospel of John in the beginning was the word. God communicating to us. And people will see the name of God on this thing. It's called the Holy Bible which a lot of people think is a, um, a Bible word, Bible. It comes, you, you, I've told you this before, 
we, ha- we call it a Bible because uh, parchment, the parchment trade was uh, out of a Phoenician city called Byblos. And so collections of parchments were called Bibles because they were from Byblos. It's not a religious word. It's just a town. It's like the holy potlatch. And let's that's, that's, uh, hang on to that for a while, a few thousand years, the reverence people give it. But you know people have, have, have bowed down and worshiped this article, this physical thing, this amulet. Because the name of God has dwelt with it. The word of God is expressed through it. Same with the temple. But Solomon knew that he wasn't containing God when he built it. But it gives us a place to turn. We've talked about love and hate. Where we love, we turn towards things. We hate, we turn away from them. And it's asking in this prayer that men would learn by the name of God dwelling in Jerusalem on this temple that people would learn to turn toward it to answer what they had a, a need about and all, on all fronts. Because we're looking for answers on all fronts of our lives because unless you want to be squirrels, you want to have child-rearing, relationships, jobs, uh, existence, political thoughts, whatever they are, you want to be thinking like the living God. And he asks in this prayer, verse 19 and following, that God would hear, even though he is not actually in this temple, but that he would use the naming of this temple so that he would, that people would know how to find him more easily. We call this the word of God. We call this a Christian church. We call you a Christian The name of Christ is on you. You're something, who you are and what you're about and what people are looking for in in meaning in this universe is, uh, it needs to have names attached to things so that we know where to look. We begin to place things and we quickly admit, yeah, the Bible isn't the word of God as much as it is a record of the word of God of inspired men. But we need to know where to look. You need to know which direction to go, what horizon to keep your your vision peeled. Because look here, verse 22, through the rest. He gives a bunch of examples. Verse 22, if a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before the altar in this house... Then hear thou from heaven and act and judge thy servants, requiting the guilty by bringing his conduct upon his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. He says, the, the, when we seek God, when you seek a God and you find a God and his name dwells someplace, you start to get benefits. One of them is ethical clarity. Are you ready? Are you when you seek God, a lot of people don't... Well, Graham was telling me about somebody he was witnessing to the other day. and people, Kind of people who know it's true don't want to go near it. They know it's true. Don't want to go near it. Why don't they want to go near it? They would rather not have ethical clarity because they're not ethical. They're doing something they don't want to give up. 
They don't want, they know God, you got to kind of, God, you got to agree with him. He is God. Yeah, it even seems good to you when you hear about it. But, this guy comes to the temple because the name of God dwelt there and he has sinned and he takes an oath to the contrary. He says, God, you hear that oath. If he's guilty, you punish him. If you protect the righteous. This is something that where your name dwells can be used to settle things ethically in the broader, um, in the broader world. If thy people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they sinned against thee, when they turn again and acknowledge thy name and pray and make supplication to thee in this house, then hear thou from heaven. Notice he always says, don't hear in this house. They will pray towards this house. They're sad. The name of God dwells over there in that city, Jerusalem, in that temple that Solomon built. But Solomon says, you hear in heaven. You hear in heaven and requite it. Forgive the sin of thy people. Bring them again into the land. So there's a, as you find God's name written on things, as you seek, you're reading books of the Bible, you're studying things, you're looking at nature, you're, you're considering problems, you start to see the world with the name of God written on it as a complete answer. We were at my dad's birthday party last night, and, and, uh, our family is a Christian family. Front to back, top to bottom, side to side. And it was a joy to be with the saints in a situation where everyone's definition of everything, now we don't agree on a lot of stuff, but everyone's definition of everything was Christ. It didn't make sense for us to start the birthday party without four hymns that we all knew all the verses of. It didn't end without my father having picked out a verse for every great-grandchild. And there was, how many, 20 some there? So good, one of the couple of verses came up in my sermon prep because it brought them to mind. You start, when you seek God, you find him. That was the promise a few weeks ago, right? Ask Seek, knock, you find God. And that finding, that name on things, when he begins to say, yeah, that way of thinking is mine. That revelation is mine. Those people are mine. And you're of the mindset, you walked into this to bless his name and to admit to what he has done and admit that he speaks and admit that he is findable. And, and, and lay claim to the future that knowing him will bring to you, you're going to find your ethics clarified. You're going to find your real politic humbled. We think we can run and go off to war with whoever we want to go off to war with, and it's really going to be adding up to how many generals and how many battalions and how many boomsticks we have. Who are these infidels? So that's what he says. We have the sinful man illuminated, the people defeated, getting it right. Says, verse 26, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against thee, let them pray toward this place. In verse 28, 
if there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence, or blight, or heaven's mildew, locust or caterpillar, if their enemies besiege them in any of their cities. And then he says, Solomon is laying it out for us to hear and for for us to hear and for them to hear because it's not just if a man is a sinner he's going to be found out or if you get your nation into trouble in a bad kind of war you can follow God but he says you know whatever plague whatever sickness there is whatever prayer whatever supplication is made by any man or by all thy people Israel each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow and stretching out his hands toward this house then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and render to each whose to each whose heart thou knowest according to all his ways parenthetically for thou thou only knowest the hearts of the children of men that they may fear thee and walk in thy ways all the days that they live in the land which thou gavest to our fathers it just it just said okay Everybody's in. Everybody's included. All your problems, big, small, doesn't matter what your affliction is, what your sorrow is. And you know it, and God knows it. And it doesn't matter whatever plague, whatever prayer. Are you reaching out for the living God? It's sad to see people who don't have God to seek or don't think to seek God, they just seek an answer. They just want to pull an answer out of empty space. They want to be step left in charge of their lives, but we need to have God define us. <coughs> Kenny and I were talking a few weeks ago about the presence of God, practicing the presence of God. And, and I know some people have a more you may, uh, pious way of going about it, but I want to recommend this to you, that you seek his name, that you seek his voice, that you redefine your world, because you're going to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, if you give yourself to this seeking, and know that his name has, has been declared down through history, in Jerusalem, by the prophets, by the apostles, by the Christ, you've got this you got this rather large volume that you can study for a long time. And whatever circumstance you're in, even if it's mildew, you can take that to the Lord. Even if, for God knows your hearts. And then he says something un unique. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of thy people, Israel, comes from a far country for the sake of thy great name and thy mighty hand and thy outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to thee. The Gentile, a thousand B.C., because if you're finding God, if you're saying, this, I know he's infinitely powerful, I know he is deity, I know he is good, I know he is benevolent, I know he has spoken. Doesn't matter who it is. Chosen people, foreigners, 
Doesn't matter how big it is and who, it's left up to you to decide what you're going to take to him in pursuit of him. Now, so one of the passages, I, don't, I forget which great-grandchild this passage out of Acts 17 was given to. Um, it transfers this whole process over to the New Testament, New Covenant approach. Solomon recognizes it and then Paul confirms what it's about. This is Paul at, at, in uh, Athens at the Areopagus, Acts 17. So Paul, standing in the middle of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. As time goes on, God's name gets declared more clearly and more clearly and more clearly. He went from an unknown top of the pantheon, who knows who he is, he's just called God. Then he's told by name to Moses. And then he makes covenant with the people with the law. Then he builds a tabernacle, a movable temple, because they can't afford a home. And then they get a home, and his name dwells in a temple, in a city, that had been a Jebusite city before that. Your God is moving forward in your life to declare more of himself because that had already happened with Israel. And the guys in Athens, these pagans, uh, Paul's coming in going, you have an altar to an unknown God and this is the God I'm going to declare to you. The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all men life and breath and everything. And he made from one every nation of men to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their habitation. Listen to this. So that they would seek God in the hope that they might feel after him and find him. That is why God, that Babel, made the nations. That is why God made the histories of the nations. So that he would be sought. And so the question in the, the, every, every day you get up is my face turned towards the God who will be found. The God who wants to be, wants to be found. Who set himself up to be in thick darkness but leaving clues all over Wanting to have his name appear on things so that others could find it and refer to it. Yet he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. You don't really realize until Paul quotes two classical Greek writers, uh, Epimenides and Aratus, that he is seeing the voice of God, the, the finding God in a pagan. Both of those were hymns to Zeus. We have the hymns to Zeus from what they came. Paul knows these, these writers. Uh, one's a Stoic and one's a uh, old Cretan prophet. Have you sought God this way? Have you sought God where you're, you're scanning the horizon of life, looking to find who he is, where he has put his name? 
where he has made things because this God, where his name is, is there to serve your need in life. Your forgiveness, your moral clarity, your real politic, every, every little problem you have from mold, including everything else. If you face him and seek him, and he is not far from any one of you. You could walk out the door of this church. You could look around you and see Christ in your brothers and sisters in Christ. And know that the more you claim of what Christ has given you, the more you claim of it, the more complete your vision of your world is going to be. That would be the practice of the presence of God, that you're looking out your eyes with Christian eyes. And not some Christian and secular not some Christian and something else, whatever you want to have the something else be. But only Christian. Because you've seen God and Christ and everything. You've seen where he has put his name. What he's put his imprint on. We live in him and move and have our being because of him. We are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone a representation by the art and imagination of man. In other words, you're going to be told this is the God. Don't believe it. Start to recognize the things of God. I, I tell this to people when people ask me about the canon. No, I believe what's in this book, not because the church in the 400s decided this was the canon. The church doesn't have the authority. The apostles do. The Holy Spirit does. And if you've read anything that is non-canonical, if you think it is as canonical because it uses these and thous, you need your head examined. If you don't recognize the voice of your God here and not there, if you read stories about Bible characters that are probably pretty edifying, you read the Shepherd of Hermas, you read uh, um, Letters of Clement, Polycarp, you'll be, it's interesting, and it says good things about Jesus. But you'll know when the name of your God is on it. When you'll know when he has made his name, his word is someplace. Check the spirit in you. Is it the spirit of Christ? Is it the spirit that recognizes, wants to see Yahweh where you can find him, wherever you can find him? Or are you someone who is happy to come up with some little idol that you say, yeah, that's Yahweh. That's Jesus over there. Whether it's a doctrinal statement or whether it's an actual physical idol. Or it's just wrong. You can't tell the forest from the trees. And so you come up with something. It says here in verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked. So let's, let's take that promise home. Okay, we've been stupid. God is overlooking that. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. This is not merely a search for those who want to join the club. It's not a clue game. It's not... Um, an intriguing treasure hunt. If you kind of are into treasure and you want to find the treasure, isn't that great? No, this is something for whom the, the thing we're looking for is the God who made heaven and earth, the God who will judge heaven and earth and every man on it. 
My failure to seek him displeases him. It's not just, this is how I find, this is how I turn my face to where he puts his name. But, my failure to do it is something of which, for which I must repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all men by raising him from the dead. The thought is that God has walked through this universe in thick darkness and has expressed himself in it in a variety of ways. And then his son came and made it even clearer. And his apostles described the clarity of it. And they also said, you were meant to find him, and if you don't, you must be trying to not find him. You have found the God you prefer yourself. You have found the God you prefer, the one who rewards elements of yourself. But the judgment means we also need to find him. It's not just we were meant to, to look for him, but failing to do so, there will be a judgment. We're not just God so loved the world. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, for the world was condemned already. We have to be aware that we live in a world where either stupid or outright rebellion to keep us from finding the clarity that is in our maker. That's what we're dealing with. Our God is a, is a clear statement of what life can be like, what we can live like in the tranquility of his holiness. Finding that name given to everyone, given to you in every circumstance that is your sorrow, every circumstance that is your anxiety, your affliction. You have got everything to find in Christ. It's a, at the end of the passage, I won't read the next one, the situation is about a, you go out to battle that God tells you to go to, and it turns out that we do it wrong or we, go to, we end up sinning. We go into captivity and God will still, if we look to him, if we turn back to him, this is a wonderful thing about repentance. Repentance means turning back around and looking at him, facing the temple, facing, and not literally the temple. Watch yourself. Not literally a picture of Jesus on the wall, not literally a crucifix, but where his name stands and where his clarity is. You have a short life. Do you want God to help you find the nuts next fall? Do you want your life? You're going to live out 70, 80 years, then you're going to be dead. And you're going to rearrange all the stuff and you'll have rearranged your living room 12, 13 times. You'll have gotten something in the bank. Eh, massage it, massage it. Look, I have stuff. Like a little idiot squirrel pulling it up, showing the kids. I got, I got these acorns, five of them. Let me leave you these acorns. And they get just as excited. Because, oh, an acorn. And they go off and bury it in their bank. Yeah, we've got a pedestrian, silly, short, life. Let's do it well. Let's do it well. 
in such a way that we have the right idea about the acorn. We trust God for the acorn. We don't worry about the acorn. God will maintain our, their cause and forgive his people. That's what he's there for. But you have to find him. Otherwise, you've got to give false importance to the acorn. You've got to give false importance to the way you're structuring things. You've got to start commending yourself as God to others. Have you ever been angry with people? I hear it happens. Being angry with people because you think you're God. Wouldn't it be nice if we had worked that out? That you would believe everything I said? God forgive us. Maintaining our cause is going to be the, finding the Lord. Finding the Lord is going to be seeking him. Seeking him is going to take some wisdom where you're building places to look. Do you find the right friends in Christ? Do you find the right books to read? Do you find the right um, path to take? Look for his name imprinted on things, who he is, his holiness. If you don't see his holiness, just because it's slick, just because you fell for the logo, and I like good logos, but just because it has a nice logo does not make it holy. Find the name of God imprinted as the name of God is. Your cause will be maintained. Your God will stand for you. And you will die. Like everyone else. And he'll say, well done. At the end of this prayer that Solomon gave, I have the last few verses I couldn't fit on the right-hand side. Chronicles... Uh, 2 Chronicles 6, and it goes right into 7. When Solomon, verse 1 of 7, when Solomon had ended his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. That's a prayer. I've never prayed that well. Maybe I get a little bronze table, three cubits high, five cubits square. Because that's what Solomon was on when he bowed down and prayed. In the sight of all Israel. Everybody's watching this. This is one of these miracles everybody gets to see. Fire coming down from heaven to consume the burnt offering. Well, that's not what we're waiting for necessarily, but we want to find that God. We want to know that God like Elijah knew that God, who also called, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and your 50. Do you want to talk and be and live comfortably, regardless of what disease you have, regardless of what friends you have or how successful you are, but you're walking through comfortably in this life because your God is Yahweh and you have found his mind and he is teaching you things about how to understand everything that matters, even the brokenness of the creation. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. You're very good to us. Turn our faces toward you, that we might find your name printed on things. Some place that we can grasp, that we can collect, that we can appreciate, accept, humble ourselves to. And ask for you to confirm in your promises that we know what we've found already and what we're eager to find in the future.
Keep us always turning back to you for grace, that in our sin we would know where grace was. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.